0: This is the Church in the Wild podcast, episode number one. Today, we're gonna look back at 2017, the good, the bad, and the interesting with our guest, Adrian Crawford. Well, off we go into the Church in the Wild podcast here and boy, this is a uh, this is really exciting for me. I have one of my best friends here with me to start this podcast. This is like a dream within a dream all happening for me. It's like a level of inception kind of thing happening. I got Pastor Adrian Crawford here and uh Pastor Adrian and I have been friends for for several years now. He's uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, has an amazing church there. He's been an entrepreneur, launched a a business training basketball players and athletes, Um, got an amazing family, wife, and three great kids. Uh, There's not a whole lot this guy doesn't do, and uh, he's just been an awesome friend to me, and so it's really sweet to have him on the podcast and to talk a little bit about 2017. Pastor Adrian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Seth. Again, man, you're looking. We've got
1: the FaceTime, though. They're not seeing this on the podcast. They're just hearing it. But, man, man. FaceTime, you know, we're rocking you out there in the Northwest, man, and and you know, you said one thing I don't do, you know, you said I there's not things I don't do, but one thing I don't do is when I come to the Northwest is yep. go hiking in the woods with you, so <laughs> you know how that goes. But like I said, black men in the woods in Oregon, <laughs> we're a delicacy to bears, so they see us. It's like oh, it's caviar.
0: We've never had that before. They don't so. see they, To be fair, they don't see it very often. That is that is a true statement. Um. I, I shouldn't tell you then, like, just, you know, you've uh, you've been to my house, and right outside, you know, my front door, I have some trails and a little mountain stuff yeah. up there, all kinds of stuff to hike, and uh, they, they have pictures posted lately of uh, mountain lions that have been seen, so... Anyway, come on, dude. Yeah. So yeah. Even even when I've been thinking about, oh man, when I come when I come out there in February,
1: oh man, maybe I'll do a prayer walk around your neighborhood. Nah, fam, <laughs> I'm good. Nah, I'll just do it in the room. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus will hear me in the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but dude, I'm excited about this podcast, man. I know it's something you've been wanting to do for a while, and um, you've been on uh, the New Rules podcast that we do, That's right. and so man, again, you've been a great, person uh, great, uh, great person having the podcast. So man, I'm super excited about this idea of man, Church in the Wild.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of confluence between what you guys have been doing with your New Rules podcast, which is amazing, by the way, and you all should go and subscribe to that, um, and and a little bit of what I'm trying to do here, but trying to kind of integrate the world of the scriptures and like the whole church world and the life of following Jesus with the real world and not having it be something that's skated off or quarantined, um, but really processing the world as much as we can through a Jesus lens. And I think that requires a lot of wisdom and thoughtfulness and and prayer uh, because we we do. We live in the wilderness sort of movement. We don't live in the promised land. Um, and we live kind of in that in-between space where we're trying to follow Jesus on a very uh, less than ideal circumstances, a lot of time. So whether that's in the business world or the church world or wherever else, there's just there's no shortage of things to discuss and process through for sure. No, and I think that coming up, especially in this.
1: You know, again, I've I've been really passionate about this. I believe in the next really 10 to 15 years, the way that we see church, and we're already starting to see it in North America, looks completely different. And I think that this idea of sacred secular uh, has begun, I think, over the last five years, the idea has really been out there about tearing that divide down. And I think this podcast can be super helpful because I think that, you know, we know in, in, in original, really in Jewish thought, that there was no such thing as sacred secular. There wasn't this kind of didn't happen until really Greek thought came into play of this separation and I think that uh, you know I think this podcast to be super helpful for people to be able to do that
0: yeah yeah well that that's my hope if nothing else I'm gonna have a great time doing it because I just get to have a lot of cool conversations with some of my favorite people so it's really a Absolutely. no-lose situation man <laughs> um, well Adrian we got some uh, we got some fun stuff to talk about today 2017 uh, left us with a lot of material and uh, <laughs> yes it did
1: yes it did
0: we're uh, we're sitting now at it's, uh, it's New Year's Eve today when we're recording this, and so we're just on the back end of 2017. You're probably listening to this in 2018, uh, but there's a lot of stuff to to kind of process and talk about. So Adrian and I have come up with a few categories of things to talk about uh, from 2017, and we wanted to talk about kind of our most notable or memorable. Um, thing from each of these five categories. So the first one we're going to talk about is media. So what out of kind of the media, um, kind of TV, online world stood out to you as a really defining, memorable, or, or notable thing this year?
1: I would say, man, from a media standpoint, I mean, there was a lot of incredible things that dropped this year. You know, Stranger Things 2, you yep. know, Good Night. If you grew up in the 80s, I mean, that's just like – I mean, it's like low key ministry to your soul. You know what I mean? Growing up in the 80s, you know, minus the, you know, the, you know, these weird monsters trying to kill people. But, you know, growing up in the 80s and seeing that. And and I think more than anything else is this idea of, for me, it was the movie Get Out. Um, that mm. was kind of the biggest thing for me because I heard so much about it, um, and then the fact that Rotten Tomatoes, when it first dropped, it was like at a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes, which you know in the hip hop world that's like getting that's like getting five mics and source, you know. So <laughs> it's like it was like it's a rarity for anybody who you know still reads Source magazine, but it's a rarity to get a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. So going to see that movie and going to see it, normally everyone hypes something up, and you're like, oh, it can't be that good. But walking out of that movie. And realizing that, one, it was done so well, um, acting was incredible, but just how it attacked and went after real kind of issues on the idea of race um, in America, because they did it in such a very subtle way. Yeah. And I thought it was brilliant, because I thought it was brilliant, because I thought it's just just it, that racism, you know, many times we think of racism as we think of it today as what we saw during Jim Crow what we saw during you know during uh the time of slavery but what they did a wonderful job of is bringing the little nuances in of people of how racism still is there but it just has been such a part of culture now it's no longer you know calling someone the n-word or having you know you know whites only and colored you know on water fountains mm-hmm. or you have to sit in the back of the bus but now it's the fact of you know racism doesn't exist if you say hey i voted for barack obama so now you're like off the hook you can pretty much be a kkk member but hey i voted for barack obama so i'd let you off the hook right mm-hmm. and it's just they did the little nuances of that and i think that it, it was done again as a as an african-american man and you know realizing that Many times I always have to explain this to especially to uh, some of my white friends is realizing that culture is a huge thing, because when you are the dominant culture, you're just used to kind of what it is. And it's not Mm -hmm. new to you. It's like, well, it's just a normal life. But for me, there's a specific culture. And there's as a black man having to live in that culture um, and just looking at the little nuances. I mean, this is a little small things that, that went on in the movie. I thought it was just done. Brilliant. I don't know. Did you get a chance to check it out?
0: Yo, know, I have I have not seen that movie yet. And now that you're talking about this, you, you make me want to go see this, you know. Maybe, we'll, maybe yeah, I'll it's... try to squeeze <laughs> it in before the year's over. Um, you should you should I, definitely do it. And you, I have seen like definitely. I've seen like YouTube clips. I've seen, you know, is it Jordan Key and is it it's Key and Peel, right? That did yeah, this. Yeah, jo- I think it's Jordan Peel. Jordan Peel. Jordan Peel. Um, yeah. well I have seen them do interviews on it, and I I saw that. Uh, one of them actually went to UCLA to a film class while they, did you see that while they were actually discussing get out as a no. kind of the cultural and racial phenomenon that it was and he just snuck into the class and the teacher started asking like you know like you know what's your take on the on the movie and then a few students started popping off and then as soon as they popped off their theories of kind of what they were going for he he like stood up in the middle of the class and addressed all of them and like like yeah wow really really cool wow. stuff but but a lot of that stuff you know just surrounding the movie was so big because you just saw, you know, I don't know how much, you know, you know the. It's a very, very broad statement, here, but the white world really caught on to this. But there was something among, like, like all my, you know, friends of color for sure that, like, when they're watching that, they're seeing something that's really resonating with them in a powerful way. Um, and uh, and obviously, it was just reviewed so so well. So uh, I just, if I'm being honest, with you, I don't like scary movies. It's just, it looks scary. <laughs> 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 hey, you know what?
1: It is. is. You know, I'm. There's the thing, though. I'm with you, too, Seth. Listen, the older I get, the more I'm like,
0: I, don't I just know that. those
1: things are kind of like, yeah, I don't need that. I got enough. Hey, I got a pastoring a church and having a, you know, raising kids. I got enough demonic stuff in my life. I just don't need now. to invite anything else in my life. You ain't lying. But I will... I will tell you that what made it so cool is just that, I mean, even little like nuances. So I'll just give you one like we're in the movie where like at the end, you know, it's a whole typical hey, it's a black guy dating a white girl, and then at the end of the movie, you know, it's the whole idea she's like looking up like you know, potential like black athletes who is her next kind of victim or whatever. But she's eating cereal, and little nuances is that because she was racist, and one of the things she did was that her cereal she had Fruit Loops, and. She had Fruit Loops in the bowl, so all the multiple color of uh-huh. uh, Fruit Loops in a bowl, but she had no milk in it. Like the white milk was separate, so she would eat her cereal and then drink her milk. Interesting. And this idea of keeping things, and you're like in the movie, you're like, I'm sitting, I'm watching, like, yo, that's done on purpose. And then my wife's like, No, no way, it's done on purpose. And then I'm starting to read him, uh, read some yes. of the interviews, and he was like, Yeah, he's like, we absolutely did that. Yeah, of that. Hey, you know, that pe- because like, idea of people of color or things of color should be one place, and then white separate, and they should not mix. And I was like. That's brilliant. See, that but, to me, yeah.
0: like, yeah, regardless of, like, politically or regardless of just even culturally, yeah. like, where where you – that the artistry behind that, the thoughtfulness, like, that you get to actually, you know? that. So you're making a case yeah. why I would actually really enjoy just the thoughtful nature of, of the movie. But uh, yeah. I, I might once have to you, cover once my you watch eyes it. a few scary parts. Or <laughs> I don't know.
1: For sure, once you watch it, then call me, because there's a lot of little nuanced things that I'll tell you, and you're like – you're like, yo, that really happened. I mean, there's so many little things. Yeah. And, like, even I let that went past me and I went back and there's this, you know, kind of pop quiz that goes through it. So, yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah. Again, it was probably my favorite movie um, of 2017.
0: Awesome. You know, uh, Adrian, for, for me, um, I was really torn on this one. And I was really torn between Stranger Things 2 and, hey. and Star Wars 8, the new Star Wars movie. And mm. I was torn for very different reasons, because I feel like the phenomenon of Stranger Things 2 is that it tapped in to my childhood, you know, to the yes, child of the 80s. Yes. And I mean, that was my life, you know, like the Ghostbuster Halloween costume, you know, like the building your <laughs> yes. own proton pack, you know, like been there, done that, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, it, they did it so well, just encapsulating the Steel kind of vibe, you know, and how everything's produced and made. And so, it, it, I mean, regardless of how realistic everything is and whether or not kids should be carrying a baseball bat off to hunt dogs, you know, in the dark, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it brought up that level of nostalgia for me. Now, on the other hand, with Star Wars 8, it just kills all the nostalgia. Like, it just feels like it went the other direction for me. Yeah, Um, it was supposed to do what Stranger Things two did, um, but it it I mean it seems like they're just trying to recreate and to find something moving forward, while giving kind of maybe lip service to some of the fan stuff. But I'm I I just have not enjoyed the Star Wars universe um really, really so much- yeah
1: so yeah I would agree with that I think for me I'm with you stranger things was was better to me than Star Wars the thing about Star Wars was like man it was so long it was very long it was so I was like you know I mean normally Star Wars movies dude I'm like okay you know I'm, I'm locked in ready to go the whole nine I was like fam like. Like, how long am I going to be here for? You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm about to go order some more nachos. I've already eaten, like, nachos, and <laughs> I've eaten all my snacks. I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I like, and so, and again, I tell you, I mean, it just took so long. But, yeah, I'm with you with Stranger Things. But the thing about Stranger Things, I think it taps in for us, man, is that growing up in the 80s, you're right, the Proton Pack, Ghostbusters, yep. and even you said going around and chasing, you know, these demodogs. But here's the thing we would do as kids. Yep. We would go on adventures like that like we would go out with our friends. You know what I mean? I remember that. It brought back to me my favorite place living growing up was in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I lived in a neighborhood and my, pretty much from third through the fifth grade. And I had a, it was like the Sandlot. I had a group of about five friends, all different races, and we all hung out together. And we did that stuff. We went into the woods. We played war. We played capture the flag. I mean, we did mischief. I mean, we rode our bikes. We rode our bikes to the store. I mean, we were down for whatever. And I think that's what brings so many of us back to it. Because you're like, if that world was real, we would have done that. Like, we would have, like, as kids, we would have been on some type of hunt because that was just it. And I think they've done an incredible job of tapping into it. And I think it's, I can't wait for the, you know, the third season, what that's going to look
0: like. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, they did an incredible job really capturing. Yeah, I grew up, my house growing up was right next to a forest. So, I mean, I literally built... Three houses there, and you know, um, hunting for sticks all day long and and uh, yeah, in the forest and getting poison oak and all that fun stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally did it. Um, but yeah, Star Wars, I mean, it's still it's an enjoyable enough movie to watch, but a slow speed space chase is just that's just killing me, dude. It's just killing it
1: me, it is. And then, and then at the end, that's how we're gonna like that's all it came down to. You figured out at the end, it's not like this which is probably the best part of the movie, where you're just going to, like, you know, the lady just sacrifice oh, herself. Oh, yeah, spoiler
0: alert, by the way. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, sorry. So yeah, that's if you right seen right. You had, yeah, you, sorry You had yeah. a few weeks yeah. to watch it, so. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, yeah. all the shows that have been alert. sold out to this point. So, yep. yeah, I mean, for her to go, I run the I'm like, really? You yeah, figured you that out that, after? Man. I was, was really after
0: upset. Like, hey, was it was after cool, like, cool to watch. two and a half
1: hours? After two and a half hours? Like, that's what we finally figured out? Like, we could have got that done, like, in about an hour and 45. Dude, we could have been taken...
0: Can't you just do that yes. all the time now? Why can't you just, like, yeah. run X-Wings? That's it. Hyperspeed and that, everything all the time. That's it. That's it. And you're just kind of like,
1: really? That's where we went? And I'm just like, come on, man. And again, and again, I'm a Star Wars. And here's the thing about Star Wars. You got to pretty much, for me not to like it, I mean, you got to go, like, straight Jar Jar Binks on it. Ooh. Like, you know what I'm saying? You got to be bad. Like, You got to be mm. bad like that. Like, to, for me not to like Star Wars. And I still wouldn't watch all of those. Like they got my money for all like those ones, they were awful. And they got my money for every last And like Anakin Skywalker, that whole group should not be in the canon of Star Wars. Like it's like the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like (laughs) It like adds a little
0: bit to it, but Dead Sea Scrolls were at least interesting, man.
1: (laughs) No, they I mean They're true, but you're like ah, we can't canonize this, yeah. So, but anyway, it's kind of like it's kind of like Rocky Five, you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah. It's like take take Rocky Five and and whatever the other ones out, and then like I think you should have Rocky One through Four, and then put like you know Creed in there. In the words of Chris Rock, Black Rocky. So <laughs> Black Rocky.
0: Was Was Rocky Five the one where he was street brawling the the young dude? Was that Rocky with, Five? With or was that Moore, the one with the yes. Russian? No. Oh, come
1: on, dude. Russian? That's uh, sad. That's Russian right. four. I'm just
0: getting my number. That's four. All right. All right. That's four. If he, Hey, if he dies, he so dies. So the I mean, original, the, most... the rematch, yep. Mr. T, yep. the Russian, Mr. T. and then, like, yes. the street fight with, like, Tommy, like, whatever. With Tommy something. Morrison. Yeah,
1: that's right. Tommy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, you're like, yeah, that was, like, that's not in the canon. Like, take that out. They just need to add. Seriously, that's, like... I'm telling you, but I don't know if you ever saw Creed, but Creed was incredible. It yeah, was they need to add they need to add Black Rocky into the Rocky, like into the Rocky files. So the rest <laughs> of them, they can forget about them. Let's delete them from history.
0: Yeah, buddy. All right. Well, there we go. There's our take on kind of the 2017 media landscape, at least in a blip. Uh, Adrian, you got kids, man. I got kids. Mm-hmm. In the world of family and kids, what was what's been the biggest what's been the biggest thing out of 2017? for you and your 2017 is one. I'm just was 2017 was the last year I'm preparing my
1: son, February 2nd turns 13. So i have a stinking teenager Ooh. in my house. Yeah. So you know how that goes. So you know having goes. that. Yeah. Yeah. So preparing, you know, preparing for that. And, um, but man, the thing that just took my house by storm was the phenomenon, uh, the phenomenon of slime. And so, Man, my daughter walks in one day. She's like, hey, Dad, I need Borax powder, glue, water, glitter, and, and I need a spoon, some bowls. And I'm like, yo, are you cooking up dope? Is that literally what's about <laughs> to happen right now? I was like... I'm like, like I'm like if you call over if you call over some if you call over Juan Escobar and ask for a flight <laughs> to Colombia, then
0: I am really nervous. You hanging because out with a lot of Colombian year, friends, we're going to be really yeah, concerned.
1: <laughs> my my ten year old is already <laughs> such a like natural born like leader entrepreneur, beats her like you know kind of yep. she's very focused. I'm like yeah, so. Um, she loves Jesus, but if it wasn't because of the love for Jesus, <laughs> the fact of the matter, she could be running an
0: undercover like drug ring that I didn't know about. But I'm yeah, I mean, you, man. slime can't. You gotta stop. You gotta stop house. letting your kids watch Breaking Bad. Is what you gotta stop doing. They can't That's be it, man.
1: I don't know. I was just trying to. You know, I was hoping one of them may go into you know to the film industry. So I wanted to see, let them see something just great. <laughs> now jokes, jokes, for any for any uh, any fundamentalist list, I do not let my kids watch <laughs> Breaking Bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I will say that, um, when it's all said and done, yeah, slime, man. And again, it's like the dumbest thing ever. I mean, it's like all kids' yep. stuff, honestly. Yeah, know my kids. Are but making it's like, it too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. It's like you're like, what is this? And they're like, and then they're selling. But there's the thing though. It is a little bit undercover. It's like it's not drugs, but like, they do sell it. Like there are kids who are selling. There are kids who have no. a, like Instagram pages. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. That make all these different type of slime who are making money. This is real life. No, real. Life. It's coming your way. Trust me. I know you just told me that they <laughs> your kid, one of your kids got a slime, got a little slime pack. Trust me, dude. Listen. It's just another reason for us to spend money on stupid stuff. It's just, I've realized that's one of my jobs as a parent. I appreciate my parents more because, man, my parents did a lot of stuff for me. And I'm realizing, man, my parents brought a lot of dumb stuff for me. You know, I'm doing sign. My parents bought me the Hulk Hogan work, uh, WrestleMania workout set. So, I mean, like, you know. Now it's fine. What about you, man? What was the thing that took well, over in your home?
0: In the category of wasting so much money on kids, I'm just going to have to go right in that flow and call out the fidget spinner, man. Uh, hey. This, <laughs> yes, fidget
1: <laughs> spinner game was strong this year.
0: 2017, man. You're the fidget spinner. I think each of my kids had at least five of them. And, oh, um, man. Uh, they could be purchased at gas stations and all your fine sort of, you know, establishments. Um and, uh, yeah, they were just on them nonstop. My wife, uh, you know, my wife, uh, she teaches in the school district. Uh, she and yeah. I have both taught in elementary schools and I, I haven't been able to teach, uh, been able to teach for the last few years, but she's still in it. And she's been in, in a few classes in this past year where students are so addicted to fidget spinners that, um, they like, they have to be allowed to fidget with them in class. Um, and, uh, and even, even remotely hinting at taking it away just sends them into convulsions. I mean, it was, it was a real deal. Now, there's, there was kids who, like, I think originally had the, you know, like ADD, right? So yeah. the fidget spinner yeah. was actually really helpful for them. But the problem was the fidget spinner turned more kids into ADD, like in the classroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> they didn't
0: actually need it, they just wanted to do it and then claimed they were ADD yes. in order to justify it. And uh, anyway, but so now my home is, is just filled with broken fidget spinners everywhere
1: dude yeah the fidget spinner it you know what it It took over where we're at but didn't you know my son had one actually and i ended up taking it because i am <laughs> adhd so like it actually helped me in staff meetings because it oh, helps me no. like stay, it helps me stay focused in staff uh, meetings my staff knows when i'm locked in they're like oh you got a fidget <laughs> spinner something good's about to happen so
0: <laughs> oh man that's good all right uh, let's move on to a little bit more of a, a serious note here let's uh let's talk about uh church uh and culture and kind of uh the world of of church and culture and all kinds of different things going on in those kind of arenas and you know what's something that's kind of stood out to you as most notable from two 2017?
1: I think the biggest one for me in church and culture has definitely been I think the voice, the rise of the voice of really black evangelicals who have kind of been who have lived when I say this in a white evangelical world and what I mean by white evangelical world. Cause I get my, I get friends ask me all the time, or I just say friends, I think people who, yeah, there are friends, but there are people who just, they, they're like, well, what does that mean? White evangelical world. It's like this own like separate world. And what it means is more of a, a space that's dominated by more white traditional, um, kind of uh, ways of doing things. Um, and and for me, as a guy who, who, you know, being black but passing a 60% white church in the South, I'm more in a white evangelical world. The guys I listen to, um, to the um, you know again some of the people who influenced me how I built church and all those things and what's happened is that guys even like myself who are very well adjusted and when I say that guys who are who who have who love diversity who have friends like you Seth I mean who really live life in a diverse manner have really begun to speak up on some of the issues that we're seeing in this in this space because what we're starting to see in this space is the fact that. Um, this is the the way I've kind of explained it to friends is that we've been welcome into your home, but it's been, but it's kind of like being told like we're in the house. Hey, you're welcome to come to the house, but don't touch anything. Don't move anything. Don't touch any furniture. You know, even though it may be best to move this TV over here for a better viewing angle, but don't touch it. All right. You're here and you should just be happy you're here. And I think that a lot of African-American guys and, and women in general are just kind of in the space where we're like, no, no, no. Like, we're here and we're just not just coming to just assimilate, but we're actually coming to bring who we are because I think what was hard for me, man, this what really hit me is my grandfather in 2017 passed away. And one of the things I noticed was that man, I, I regret my grandfather pastored a, uh, predominantly, and we got a pretty much all black church, um, for about 50 plus years, one in Memphis, one in Mississippi. And, um, and I realized, man, that I actually had a lot of arrogance toward my grandfather. Like, I thought I, my theology was better than his um, because a lot of what I was taught, and I don't think anybody was doing it on purpose or they were like, you know, ill, you know, they had ill will, but it was more of like, well, that's just emotionalism. Um, that brand of Christianity is not deep. That brand of Christianity doesn't focus on discipleship. That brand of Christianity is just about, you know, um, like hope, heaven, things like that, and I'll never forget. You know, not to, not to, uh, prior to my grandfather passing away, one of the things he told me, man, was that he was like, you know, I asked him, like, granddad, why do you got, you know, like, it's like it's a lot of like hope and and you know that one day with Jesus and all that, and and the thing he said, I man, that still to this day sticks in my brain. He was like, he's like, Adrian, all black people had in this country was the hope of something better because we didn't have it. He's like, I grew up. He's like, your grandfather, your great grandfather grew up, you know, and Jim Crow, um, your great, great grandfather was sold as a slave. He was like, it was hell on earth for black people. So the idea of heaven, the idea of a greater future, like just, you know, the sweet by and by, it was like, that was something that gave us hope as a people. And, and that's what marked him for his life. and, and then I think that for me, I had such an arrogance about it, and I kind of did, I kind of push any of my cultural things I grew up with, though I didn't grow up in church, I pushed them to the side when I came in into more of a white evangelical space, and, and I didn't bring myself, I kind of assimilated. And I think over the years, for me personally, I'm kind of bringing that back forth, but you're, we're seeing that with guys like Lecrae and, and Brian LaRitz and Crawford, Leritz, we're seeing with a lot of guys, uh, propaganda, they're really speaking up to say, hey we love you know our white brothers and sisters we love this world but like we're gonna bring who we are and there's a lot that i think black men and women can bring in our traditions our way of doing things um that we want to bring and i think that's what's been really interesting and i think listen it's ruffled a lot of feathers i mean we've seen it with lecrae where i mean his album sells you know have yeah. significantly dropped because evangelical because there's been a lot of people where he's kind of spoke out on issues of, of race and injustice and some people didn't like that so I don't know what about you man what do you think about that?
0: Yeah no I to me like there's I just I just think it's exciting I think that 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 the fact that that conversation is happening I think for the opportunity for a plurality of voices to rise up in the church is really exciting for me you know I think that there's. You know, as with I think all things in our world, I don't think there's a whole lot of simple problems, I don't think there's a whole lot of simple solutions to the whole thing. And I think true. you know, this is something that you could extrapolate on a much larger level, even just beyond the black-white sort of stuff. But like, how many churches just love anyone walking into a church wanting to change anything? You know, like, like change. Yeah, so true. Like That's a good yeah, point. you know, like conservative evangelical churches are not necessarily known for loving change and adapting their model or adapting you know their approach or their philosophy. Um I, you know, and so, yes, yeah, some of that certainly is a cultural, you know, it's a black-white thing, and there's the racial justice things that need to be done there for reconciliation purposes, and the, I think, the expression of the church at large uh, to be expressed as the beautiful, you know, diverse body of Christ that we actually are. But I think some of it is just like, man, how many pastors are out there right now? How many associate pastors are out there right now? Like, trying to bring change into their congregations and, like, they're, they would describe it exactly like you described it, man. I'm in the house, but I am not allowed to move the TV. <laughs> like I, That's like, a
1: great point, man. You know, That's a great I think, point.
0: I think I, so I think everything you're saying is true. I just think it's actually probably more of a sentiment that could be shared, at least on some level. Maybe not as much as of a, of a deep level, but at least on some level by a lot of people. Um, I think you and I being, you know, we weren't always lead pastors. But before we were lead pastors, you know, like that, it's frustrating when there's things that you want to change, things that you know that could be better, things that you know that could connect with different audiences. But you don't have, when you don't have kind of that head seat, you just you can't just change or turn direction or input everything. And there's processes and there's times and there's stuff. Um, So I guess I'm just I'm very I'm happy for this conversation to start being introduced, and I would love for more diverse voices in the mix. I I think that's nothing but good news.
1: I know me and you've talked about this a lot, man. And, um, and, and I know one thing you said, something you know, that was really interesting. has always stood out with me because I mean, being a guy who, and I guess I'd ask you this question. I know probably at some other podcasts, this is definitely going to be a podcast topic that we talk yeah, about. No, we got to talk about this ha- more
0: in depth for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But I want to ask you this question. How has it worked, um, in your world as a, you know, as, I mean, cause this is something that you're really passionate about, but you're in a predominantly, you know, white city um and you have probably I mean you do have the most diverse church in your city but it's still a super passion because at the end of the day it doesn't really move the needle like in your like in your church meaning they're like yeah. oh man if I get on to this issue man a lot of people are going to show up like but why is it I say it's why is it such a passion for you and then second um what are you doing within your space to really allow these voices to come forth um uh, within your space
0: yeah, I mean that's. I appreciate you asking that question. It is. It is a big passion of mine. I think it. I think it comes from. I mean, the foundations of it. A lot of it come from the fact that uh, you know I got led to Christ by two black men. So, um, and I think the circumstances surrounding that and the nature of kind of their stories and their background and where they'd come from. Me growing up in a, in a small town like Corvallis, you know, that's mostly white for sure. Um, I know that, I think it just began to be clear to me very early on that they had to cross a lot of kind of cultural hurdles to reach out to me. And I don't think it was always the easiest or more comfortable thing for them to do. Like, I don't think I was wow. this amazing guy that they were eager to be friends with or close to. I think, I think it was a bit of a sacrifice for them. Um, wow. And, uh, and, but they did it, and they, and, and they genuinely loved me doing it, and I felt that. Um, and I think it was a big part of even coming to Christ. Um, and so I think the church always has its most powerful witness when the other expresses a love that's not in any way explainable other than through Jesus. That's um, great, man. So, so I've, I've, you know, I've, I've really wanted to make sure that um, diversity, not for diversity's sake, because I think there's way too much of that. And a lot of it is just, I don't know, I've got some opinions on that. But I, I think the idea of the kingdom being fully manifested and expressed and not allowing anyone to sit on the outer rims of spiritual you know, interest that doesn't have any place to connect because the church just just not making any attempt to connect to them. And I think that's where my passion really is. Um, so I just think there's just so many people outside the church bubble that uh, are, would be interested in in spiritual things or spiritual conversations or even exploring what a relationship with God might look like. But there is no conversation that is vocabulary that means anything to them or real any attempt to kind of get in their world or their headspace or answer the kinds of questions that people are actually asking. Um, and so I think that applies to the, you know, to the black-white divide, but I think it applies to kind of the Christian-non-Christian divide more generally. You know, in terms of promoting, you know, space, honestly, like I've just, I've uh, I've, I've probably made more fails than successes in this category, <laughs> but I just give a lot more benefit of the doubt and, uh and really try to make sure that that value is promoted and different viewpoints are promoted. Uh, I'm not the only voice that's being heard on important topics and issues, especially related to, to race. Um, and it's hard, but here's what here's what's tough, and you might even have some thoughts on this. What's hard about that um, is I don't want the white face or the white voice to be the only thing seen or heard, but then it's also tough in, in any kind of evangelical world where white is kind of the dominant culture to make you know, the people of color feel like they're just tokens in the mix. Um, yeah. So I, I hate the thought that that would ever be done, and I'm not always as sure how to, you know, how to not do that or at least make people feel like that.
1: No, and, and again, I know this will be something we, we hit on later, but I'll I'll just say this. I think that, you know, for me, it's always about – you matter of fact, Seth, there was something you said to me, uh, gosh, it was maybe it was sometime in 2017 in one of our, you know, numerous – Hour-long phone
0: conversations that yeah. we have. Um, so I just and, decided I had to start recording yeah. some of them to get some value. that. Out that, of that, that, that
1: to get some value. I mean, because I'm like, we're saying, like, yo, that's gold right there.
0: And so, but one of them
1: was that fact that you were like, you know, you said you're like, I think one of the most important things that we could start doing in our culture, um, as far as in really seeing this divide begin to happen, is actually empowerment mm-hmm. of African Americans in place of leadership. And so that's my biggest thing is that yeah. I think that people know think that people, uh, you know, I was like you. I was reached by uh, a white gentleman who wasn't trying to be black, who wasn't trying to just fit in. I mean, he he was who he was, but he had, but what what everyone knows, I think everyone in their soul understands it when someone's authentic. They feel it, yeah. you sense it. It's something that's there. And I think as long as people are authentic, you know, black people are fine. I mean, that's the one thing about I'll tell you it's about black culture is that when you're in, you're in. You know, I mean, it don't matter what color you are, but when we let you in like you were in and it's like, I mean, you're invited to the barbecues, you're invited to everything in the world. And and even if you mess up, we're like, nah, you know, even if you say something like nah, that's Seth, he's good. Like, I mean, you're just in. <laughs> sure. And that's the one thing that I love about, like, I do love about, you know, there's a gifts and curses of that are of black culture. Uh, there's some good things about that. There's some things we let go. But at the end of the day. I think that that's what it's all about, authenticity. If you're empowering people, even if they're only the only one, because here's the thing, in your city, yeah, you know the fact of the matter, to find somebody good enough, if you being a good, think about somebody coming on stage and preaching and communicating, as good as you are as a communicator, so find somebody who could handle a pulpit and be able to do that, uh, but then also being African-American, that's a hard task to do yeah. where there's not a lot. But I would, you know, but like you've always done, it's like, man, I'm going to empower people. As long as you empowering them, yeah. people know you're authentic, they're fine because they're going to have, they're going to, at some level, I was the token guy at some point because yeah. I was the only one.
0: Yeah. Um, but I knew it was authentic in what they were trying to do. Yeah. I think for me, the, one of the biggest things about token, if, if, you know, let's say like I, you know, and I have, you know, I bring you, I fly you out from Tallahassee to speak, you know, to our church, Great yeah. City here in Corvallis, you know. Um, if I'm just bringing you out to fill some kind of quota because I really want a black man to preach on stage, that to me is tokenism. If that was the motivation behind it. Yes. You know, maybe it scratches some superficial itch, but that's all it is is superficial. But to me, like, there's just a lot more than any to any individual than the color of their skin or their cultural background or makeup, you know, and so. Uh, the fact of the matter is, like, it's, to me, it's just a bonus that if I were to fly you out, that, that you're black. But, you know, your faith, your gifts, you know, the dynamic of how you preach and communicate and what you invest into my community. Like, I didn't I, – it really – it wouldn't matter if you were just, like, green or, you know – Bright yellow or something, hey, you know, incredible, like incredible. on yellow, <laughs> some like yeah, glowing gamma ray version, <laughs> um, like that. There's value there, and then and then you start throwing in the the dimensions, and so I think that's I think to me that's a big thing is is you have to know that anyone, no matter, especially people of color within white communities, that they're valued for the totality of who they are and the uniqueness of their gifts that may not just run along the stereotypical grooves of being black, you know. So, oh.
1: That's so good. And, I, and I'll tell you, because you do that. When I come out, you're not, you've never asked me. I come out, and you're like, you've never asked me to talk about race. You were like, hey this is the part we're talking about, or, hey, man, what's on your heart to share? You're like, you've never asked me to ever do that. And I've really – it may have come up in a context of, like, a, a, maybe a small point in the midst of my sermon, talking about my church or talking about just, you know, my own struggles um, or all the things I'm, try, I'm trying to get to a point. But at the end of the day, and that's what I've always appreciated, You know, a lot of my friends. Like, they don't bring me in to be, hey, you become the guy and talk about race. Now, I can do that. Right. Um, and if you ask me do it, it would be great. But that's not what you've ever wanted me to do. You're, like, bringing me in, like, hey – share to our church. And I think that speaks to your heart. But again, I think that's why, and again, I always tell people, it's not about you got to have a 50-50 uh, percentage split, I think, but I do believe your church should be a reflection of what your community looks like. Yep. And I think, you know, with you guys out there in Corvallis, it does, I think, in our city of Tallahassee, um, it does that um, as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, any good leader knows that the best, the best leaders you have to chase, like you're gonna, you're not always gonna get all of the best leaders if you don't go and pursue people uh, that are underrepresented like i mean you and i are both probably a little bit more on the introverted scale you know personality wise so we know this <laughs> yeah. really well like if you really want my thoughts if you really want my leadership if you really want my gifts like you're gonna like i'm not going to be the loudest person in the room to initially offer it um yeah and there's a lot of people like that and that, that relates also to i think you know minorities in, in a community uh, they you know they may not be the loudest person to raise their hand and say oh i want to do this or contribute that Um, you might have to intentionally chase them down a little bit to find the best thoughts, the best giftings. And that's, that's just true on all kinds of general levels. So to me, it's just, it's just good leadership, you know? Um, Absolutely. Well, that's a really, that's a, that's a really good one. We got into there pretty good. Um, I don't want to dive too much further into any other church kind of culture issues for now, but uh, there's a couple other categories that I wanted to get into with you, and especially with your, I mean, you got a sports background that's significantly, I feel like it's significantly heavier than mine, even though I, I did get to play college sports, um, but you played at Florida State, I played at Oregon State, you were basketball, I was football, um, but um, sports, so uh just to kind of humor this this topic there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the world of sports and like in a cultural sense not just the wins and losses and so forth um so and, and you and i both agree that there is one character that's fascinating to us and uh and we're kind of really interested to see where his journey's going to land um and you don't have necessarily positive thoughts about where it's going to land but tell, tell us tell the tell the people who you're thinking about i'm thinking about the founder and creator of the
1: triple b big baller brand lavar <laughs> ball lavar ball phenomenon this guy i mean again there's never been any attention that he does not like good attention bad attention in between it doesn't matter he just wants attention um and you know early on i can i, I can say this Like, he drove me crazy because of the fact of like you know um you know, to recently selling my basketball, the skill training business that I had, and I was recently sold it, you know, I, and I still am involved because I have a son who plays and I have some players who I still train, who I still am around, who I train, um, is this is the AAU, the, the sports parent culture and like some ways that he acts with his children in that area was a really negative to me and um, what he was doing. And so at first he rubbed me wrong, but I will say this, as he's gone on, I actually I actually am starting to more and more like what he's doing. Now, not some of the annex and things like that. Sometimes he just is like, I'm like, yo, just shut up, keep it moving, right? Like when he when he was on CNN talking about the president and foreign policy, I was like, you sound like 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 please, like sit this one out. You know what I mean? Like please sit this one out. And but what he's doing, and this is where I think it goes to in this can and we can probably dive into this probably go a lot of different directions, is what I think sports. And the industries are starting to learn, and it is becoming a completely a player's league across the board. It is becoming a player's league. The players are now the brand. It's no longer so much the shield of the NFL or the Jerry West logo of the NBA, but the players are the league. And so what's happening is people don't know how to react to that. So even the whole kneeling and the kneeling standing during that Yes, there's this idea that we could get on the cultural if you're disrespecting the flag or doing whatever, but at the end of the day, what it still comes back to is the fact of like players are now using their voice and their voice is powerful. And LeVar Ball, what he's doing, he's saying this, and what I got to respect, he's saying, listen, I don't want to go to Nike, I don't want to go to Under Armour, I don't want to go these. I'm going to try my own thing. Why do I have to go there? This whole thing is like, why do I need to go there? I can always get that deal, but let me go try something. And again, I say this as well, that as an African-American man to see another black man, again, where you may not agree with his annex or some of the things he does, but man, from people who I actually know who know him, that he actually does like really love his kids. He really does, like, you know, been invested in his kids' lives. And the fact of the matter is that with him right now, you know, he's trying to carve a space. Now, I don't fully agree with how he goes about all of it, but he's trying to carve a space for his kids. And I think what he's going to do, even with this league he's starting, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to work. But what's going to happen is this. He's starting this trend of where, like, players are saying, no, we are in control of our own purpose and destiny, what we want to do, not another institution. And that's what's happening. Now, again, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the league and things respond. But I think he's carving a way that we'll look back 20 years from now when we're watching a 30 for 30, and it'll be like how LeVar Ball, though, you know, it's kind of like in the Bible. So we'll bring it back to the scriptures, like Ezra and Nehemiah, right? It's like... Nehemiah did all the, you know, he gets all the credit for you know all the stuff he did, but Ezra kind of plowed the way for some of the stuff that happened during, you know, prior. He didn't fully get there. But what happened with the idea with Nehemiah? And and I think that LeVar Ball will be plowing the way um for this next generation of people coming up of saying, Man, what if we write our own course? Why do we have to go with Nike? Why can't we have a partnership with Nike? Why can't I have my own brand and partner with Under Armour? And I think he's doing something, you know, I think he's doing, I mean. I just think people get caught up though in just his antics, I get it. Like he's a, he can be an idiot at times, but I think what he's trying to do is something interesting. I don't know. What do you think, man? He's fascinating.
0: He is incredibly fascinating <laughs> as a cultural phenomenon at the moment. And I, you know, I I agree with you that I, you know, for those people that may not know, not not everybody that might be interested in this is going to be super sportsy type folk. Um, yeah. And uh, but. Lavar is like, the, like the, Adam Mabry, you mean? Yeah, well I was gonna call him <laughs> out shout, like that. <laughs> shout out to Adam
1: I just I just say, hey, listen, we got the power to my shout out to my man Adam Mabry right now. I don't even know. Listen, how can you live in Boston and just like my man like do you even like I even, I, I like, only reason why he knows Tom Brady is just because I mean you have to know the blonde hair, <laughs> blue eyed god. Like that's, that's it. Right. You know what I mean? But like he can't he Adam couldn't tell you three players that play for the Celtics <laughs> right now. He still thinks Larry Bird is playing the three
0: for him. So anyway,
1: (laughs) sorry, but keep going. My bad. My bad. What's up, Adam?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry for that little inside (laughs) moment, everyone. But sorry, not sorry. Um, yes yeah no LeVar has three sons the oldest of which was just drafted second in the NBA draft playing for the Los Angeles Lakers here Uh, LeVar kind of semi-prophetically said this is exactly how it would go this is where he'd be drafted and this is the team he'd land on and that was all fairly incredible that it happened out that way he had two younger sons one of which that got arrested over in China for shoplifting when at his first year at UCLA and then he decided to leave the team Um, and his younger son he actually pulled out of high school uh, and, and started homeschooling him. And so the two of them are now being shipped off to Lithuania to play in a basketball league over there. And now he's, just like Adrian said, announcing plans to launch his own uh, professional league, uh, like kind of like developmental league for kids right out of high school that are NBA hopefuls, so they don't have to go to college. It's basically he's creating an alternative to college where you can get paid to play, um, yeah. and also kind of pave a way to go to the NBA and not just have to go. I, here, here's the thing. I think that What's fascinating, there's so many things you could talk about here, and the business end of sports is fascinating and all that, but I, you know, to try to keep it maybe on a little bit of a spiritual level here, I'm fascinated by the idea of just how every single day there seems to be a further advancement in the direction of the branding of the self like the self is becoming point it. it, And I think there's a lot to that. And so it's brands, this brands that, but now branding is not just about Apple. It's not about Amazon and Nike. Now it really is about individuals. And like, I wonder where the end game for that is actually going to go. I mean, I, I feel like he's stepping out into waters. He may not be super successful, but you're right. He will be a footnote in history of having kind of you know, cause a few waves that I think do change some things in how amateur sports are run and how the professional game is run, um, but it sure it sure seems like when the highest business end is the promotion of self and the projection of a self image that may or may that might be profitable, but not even but not real. Um, <clears throat> yeah, to, to me this this sounds problematic. Uh, it doesn't sound like so it's all demonic, I, like wrong, bad kind of. Yeah. but it sounds. There's some problems that it's going to be encountered here in culture,
1: but see, I and I would agree with. I think my pushback to that would be, and I would agree with you, is this. And I and I was just saying pushbacks. I don't think you're fully going there. I think that what has happened across the board has been this idea, though, that like for so long it's just been like institutions, right? Yes. And here's what we're doing: we are dethroning institutions across the world, and that parts and that parts wrong, at some level. I do think institutions should be challenged. I think there are times where, you know, like Jim Crow was an institution. It should be challenged where there are things that are not inherently right. That should be challenged. And I think what's happened is for so long, um, like these leagues, like we're talking about sports right now or even and then we could transition this to church. Even we have to be careful we don't go to the other side. Alive was individuals. Now, on the other flip side of this, it's becoming so much more not just about the – it's becoming not about the individual, but it's also about, like, you know, the corporation not being the dominant thing. We can't swing. That's what we just normally do in culture. We swing to the other side. It's all about individualism, individualism, and it's going to be all about branding. And then at some point in 30 years, it may swing back the other way. And I think it's always the tension in the middle where I think the players are trying to take back some control. Um, and people are trying to take back some control and the institutions have always been the dominant thing. Um, yeah. you know, cause here's the thing you play football, man, and I've got, and we have friends and I've got, matter of fact, um, when I finished doing this podcast, I'm doing a podcast with two of my friends who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, their Super Bowl team. And, and these two guys are dealing with, um, you know, real, you know, they were, you know, nine, 10 year vets and they're dealing with like serious, you know, some CTE issues mm-hmm. to real hurting their bodies. Mm-hmm. And here's the reason why is because a lot of these guys, man, that, that before the institution did not take care of them. They knew this stuff was going on. They knew the damage of it, but they did not take care of the player because of the profit of that. And now, so that's where I feel like the institutions are at fault as well. So I think it's just this balance where we can't swing the other way. You know, because we swing the other way, is what you're saying. It becomes individualistic. And, and I would agree, that demonic thing, but I think it's also this kind of middle ground that we have to get to because when you leave, you know, this this human heart is broken and sinful. So if you give institution all the power, they're going to lord oh, sure. it over each other. If you give it to the individual, it's just going to be all about me and he could care less about the individual, care less about other people. And so I think it's just the tension and the balance in the midst of it.
0: Yeah, I think what I think of, I think of, you know, of all the people that I pastor. Um, especially young people, millennials, that I'm thinking of specifically, and I think of the weight of anxiety that is just epidemic, that so many of them carry, yeah. and I see a lot of it tied and connected to the idea of, um, like having to carry the weight of full self, de- full self definition, full self discovery, wow. definition. Like there's just this weight to not only figure out who you are, but define who you are, and the. Without having any sort of template or rule book or anything to work with, and uh, and it it is almost the most eternal, <clears throat> most meaningful you know thing that you do with your life you know, and it determines whether or not you have value or worth. And and now that we're kind of figuring out ways to monetize it with the kind of personal branding thing. It seems like the the value and worth of the soul being tied into the brands that we create for ourselves and 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 project to wow. others. Um, I I uh, you know again like I think there's some of this that's good and that's positive in the business world and a lot of this is just smart and common sense. But I I see just I see another weight I guess being loaded down. I wonder at some point what's going to break the camel's back. You know because I don't think humans were meant to carry a weight. Of self-discovery and self-definition, you know. Scripturally, I think we're meant to find identity externally uh, in God as His creation, and find definition given to us by Him. Uh, so it's more of a revelation than a personal discovery sort of a thing, something that's revealed to us more than something we have to look for for within. Because you look within, man. That's that's an abyss. That's a deep, deep pit, and deep uh, dark pit too. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's chasing smoke, man. It's it's really a it, tough task, and it's. But, but when you're trying to build a sense of identity and worth and meaning off of that, um, I think that's where it can really collapse and become a real mental and emotional strain. So anyway, that's it's hard to connect that to the whole Lebar, LeVar Ball situation, but I no, think but those it's, things, it's they good. matter, you know?
1: No, it really doesn't. I think you hit on a point where I think it's always about, I always tell people, and it's the whole Simon, you know, Simon Sinek thing of like start with your why. I think personal branding, so I because you know, I again as somebody who you know is doing stuff you know a lot on you know via social Instagram, Facebook, things like that, and this idea of personal branding, and I wrestled with that for a long time because I'm like you know I do a lot of different things, so how does this really work, and am I, you know, I mean I for so long man this is me I'm being selfish, but I think the thing that really kind of gave me some clarity on it is the reason why. If you're going to personally brand, why are you doing it? Now, if you're doing it just to get a bunch of followers, now that's and that's a tough question you have to ask yourself, are you doing it to just get a bunch of followers? But what do you bring those followers to? Like, what's the point? For me, I began to go on this pathway because I'm all about this concept of writing new rules and helping empower people to, like, think different and to write new rules and to empower them to go do their meaningful, to connect them to God, to connect them to their meaningful work in the earth. And so... As many people I can get to hear that message to challenge them and, and have opportunities to influence them to a relationship with Jesus, but also say those I can't to launch them into their meaningful work in the earth. Um, that's what I want to do. And so that's why I build the way I build is because that's what I'm super passionate about. Now, however that works, if that's, you know, 2,000 followers, that's 100 million followers, whatever. All that matters to me is that's my why. It's to constantly empower people to go. And so I think that's, it's always about the why of why people do it. But a lot in our culture today, it's honestly about trying to find out who they are. And I think at times it gets really, really sideways.
0: Yeah, Yeah, agreed. Adrian, a lot of, a lot of great thoughts here. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things we're going to need to follow up on a lot more conversations we need to have. And, um, but uh, I want to, I want to kind of cap off with these couple of things. Uh, What's, you know, 2017, what's kind of a, Something that happened this year in 2017 that was a personal highlight for you? 2017
1: personal highlight would be – I actually would have to go – you know what, it was it was right on the cusp, right at the beginning of – it was the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, as my wife surprised me and took me to Morocco. And so, um, you know, even you knew about the surprise before I did. I did. So, uh, she confided did. in me. And so – <laughs> and so it was, uh, it was, it was incredible. I mean, again, to be able to go, we went with uh, some of our close friends, but to actually go, um, and to experience another culture, um, like that, I and mean, again, I've had the privilege of traveling across the world, a lot of different places, but Morocco was just, it was incredible. Um, again, you know, especially I think what it meant so much because you know, it was both me and my wife, um, running businesses, pastoring this church, doing the things, raising kids. The fact for us to be able to have like you know a good eight days. Where there was very little like cell phone, you know, connection unless you got connected to Wi-Fi here and there, um, but just to go, you know, and and you know the fact of my spending just incredible time together, and then just you know I think I'm always amazed. I'm not. I always joke with. You. I'm not an outdoors guy, but it's amazing when I get to go across the world and to actually experience the rest of creation that it's a consistent reminder of me of like that god is absolutely real because it's just there there's just there has to be a designer to the even the broken parts of our world that we all experience that this world is still it's just an incredible creation yep. and when you get to go see it so that was my highlight what about you man
0: you know I, I'm, I'm actually going to go with something that is just such a kind of a once in a I feel like once in a lifetime thing, you know, uh the eclipse, the total eclipse happened in 2017. Hey, and the yes. Corvallis happened to be in the path of totality. So um, and that was just a really cool moment. I got my family all out, you know, went out to the kind of local park, sat out with some lawn chairs and people had, you know, they were barbecuing and mimosas and just all kinds of stuff. It was like 10 in the morning, <laughs> you know, already drinking, <laughs> you know. Um and uh, yeah, just, it was just uh, it was just kind of a weird, kind of surreal moment. And I, I thought it was really dumb, to be honest with you. I, I, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go watch it or whatever. But uh, being out there with my family and hanging out, just kind of that community moment, and then actually seeing it, you know, a to- the total solar it was pretty cool. Like, it was, I can see why people were traveling and, like, coming in from out of town into the Path to Italia to see it. Um, it was really special. I'm glad, I'm glad I got to see that in my lifetime. So, uh, Yeah. Yeah, good. No, man. I
1: didn't get the totality here because I thought it was dumb. I mean, like I kind <laughs> we got we didn't even get we didn't get the fullness. I go out there, I'm like, that's it, fam. I'm like, you know, now nah, again. Yeah, you, you gotta to see the fullness pre- to see it. Like that's it. The fullness
0: yeah. I think would have been incredible. So, yep. you know. Yep. All right, Adrian. Let's uh let's leave this podcast on somewhat of a positive note if we if we can. We had a whole lot of drama go down in two thousand seventeen, but what are you most hopeful for in two thousand eighteen?
1: It's a great question. Um,
0: I think I'm most
1: I think I'm most hopeful for in the church space of continuing to empower. Um, one of the things I want to begin to really see, and I'm hoping through our church and the movement that I have, um, is to really create a movement that of like of empowering leaders and making disciples and not doing it in an industrial age way. I think that the industrial age really in- impacted our world, but impacted impacted church. I think sometimes we make disciples just like we did how they would reproduce the model T. It's that everyone's this way. Here's a model T. Let's reproduce it. And realizing there's humans, there's souls. And I think that one of the things I really want to see is I think that it's really a movement of people being launched to connect to God, to then connect to what God's called them to do. And in that, that goes back to what we talked about earlier is breaking that sacred secular divide. I'm really believing in 2018 for more of that to begin to happen in the church space of, of churches beginning to really be on the forefront of like, man, not just about individuals coming into the church. Again, it's important to serve your church, be a part of your church and, and to be fully committed to your local church body. But more than that, but really the church being about man, empowering their people to go into the world um, in whatever space they that's
0: going to do. So I'm really believing have to see movement uh, within that in this upcoming year. That's great. You know, this with 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 so much that has gone down this year, and I think about um, you know a lot of the, a lot of the political divide that's in the country right now. A lot of the political situations between Trump and Roy Moore being some of the ones you know, but. Um, you have issues all over the campus world, you know, you've got, you know, you got your your far left and Antifa kind of stuff, and you've got your alt-rights, and I uh, I, I think what I'm most hopeful for in 2018 is that the idea of a Christian, um, if you want to call it an evangelical Christian, if that label even means anything to anyone anymore, I'm not sure yeah, if it no. does, but I'm just hoping that there's clarity, just greater clarity that comes around um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to be the church, and that people have the courage to hold on, not just throw babies out with bathwater, but have the courage to hold on to things that might not be popular, um, but to see God redeem and to purify, um, even if that m- might mean some a, a little bit of a painful process. Um, I heard a quote one time, um, and uh, I'm not sure who the originator of this quote was, but I think I heard it from from Stephen Mansfield, who's a guy who's kind of in our world. He's an author and speaker. and um, he said uh, yeah. the greatest threat to Christianity is not that people would reject it, but that people would rewrite it. And wow, um, so I guess I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to. I, I'm not. I know it's going to be challenging, a lot of challenging. But I'm I'm hopeful that this new year will provide a lot of clarity about what Christianity is and what a Christian looks like um, and how a Christian conducts himself, whether it's in social media or the civil kind of space um, or, or just in, in the community um, and I just see so many positive amazing things there's so many great churches out there so many great leaders out there so many great things that the body of Christ is doing the church is doing that's never going to make headlines because it's not going to you know pay advertiser kind of space sort of stuff um, but I think uh, I think more and more people that will, will drift away that weren't in for the right reasons to begin with and um, and it would allow something I think at the core of what God has formed. Um, to shine a little bit more brightly. So that's what I got.
1: Man, Man, I think that's incredible. And like I said this a couple of years ago, I, I truly believe this. I actually did an entire sermon series and it's it is from a song that actually was uh, by Drake and it's this idea of what a time to be alive. And I actually believe as far as Christians, it is an incredible time to be alive. I think people are running for the hills. This is the worst time, but it's like it's just through church history is when stuff like this happens God always moves and so, and he separates and he decides. And so I think you're spot on. I think that, you know, I think we were talking about it earlier that, man, I hope that, yeah, I mean, this is super clarity. It's real clarity. Cause I think it's an incredible time to be alive. Cause I think there's a lot of incredible things God wants to do, uh, especially here, you know, in, you know, in the United States, you know, here in North America. So I'm really excited yeah. about it.
0: Yeah. Adrian, my man, this has been really fun. We have got to do this, uh, many, many more times in the future.
1: We absolutely will. And man, I'm looking forward to uh, you know, I'm gonna have you on the New Rules Podcast soon again and I'll be man, you it's crazy. Man, come February, dude. We're gonna see each other within like a three week span. Right. Like we're gonna see
0: each other two weeks back to back. So man, we may drop like five podcasts That's, during that <laughs> time. So <laughs> I'm gonna be in Florida and Adrian's gonna be in Oregon. And so just the beautiful divide is gonna be bridged and, and life is like the kingdom of God will come for those brief few days where we're in the same space. <laughs> Uh, But thanks so much for your time, Adrian. This has really been awesome. We'll make sure to link all your social media stuff, your New Rules podcast, everything like that in our show notes uh, so people that want to track with you or follow you can do that. But thanks so much for jumping in with us on this uh, very first episode. It's been a real pleasure talking.
1: Man, I appreciate you, man. Looking forward to what you're going to continue to do with this new podcast, Church in the Wild.